Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Celebration Center this morning online. I'm excited that you're with us. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan Harris. I am the lead pastor here. And, you know, whether you're a guest with us this morning or you're a regular, our desire for you this morning is that you be able to connect with Jesus. That's what we want to see. We want to see you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Now, part of being able to do that is growing in relationship with his people. So I want to encourage you, if you've got any questions about who we are, what is going on um, with us, or you want just some more information about things, I encourage you to use the Connect With Us tab. Click on that, fill that out. That's our digital communication card, and somebody from the church here will be in contact with you. We would love to help you in your journey with Jesus and uh, just even if you're just exploring things. So I encourage you to do that. Now, we are in a series called The New Normal. And in this series, we are going over what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is found in the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, and it's in uh, chapters 5 through 7. Now, we all know what it's like when we encounter a change in life, right? Uh, recently, I went through a double hernia surgery, and the doctors and my wife both made it very, very clear to me that life cannot go on as it has. That I cannot just jump in and start carrying, you know, eight, ten-pound books with me wherever I go, and my computer bag, and and just all kinds of things. I I can't do that anymore, at least for a while, because I've got to let the surgery uh, heal. Right? I've got to let all of that healing take place, but then also I don't want to undo what has been repaired. All right, This is a big, big deal. So this is requiring a new normal for me. Many of you have experienced this kind of thing, whether it's in surgeries or it's with finances and having to approach finances differently or maybe a, a relational issue or something. You, you have had to change the way you fundamentally uh, react and, and engage in life due to some new circumstance. Now, the Gospel of Matthew presents the arrival of Jesus as signaling this kind of change. What was reality will now and forever be different. It will be different because Jesus' presence means that God is fulfilling his promise to have mercy on Israel, to bring wholeness to all peoples, and to make the world right, so that heaven and earth are forever overlapping, that there's no longer any separation there. And, and God is accomplishing this in and through Jesus. This is the gospel, you guys. This is good news. It's something worth celebrating. And, and this is what Jesus is talking about when he says that the kingdom of God has come near. Now, last time we were in this series together, it's been a it's been a few weeks, but the last time we were in this series together, we looked at how living in Jesus' new normal means looking to him as the ultimate authority and then having a heart change, living with a changed heart. And where we landed last time was our need to remain in Jesus. We have been talking about this over and over again, and we're going to continue because everything that Jesus talks about in here is going to be lived out in the context of remaining in him. Nothing that Jesus says here is merely about just accomplishing a set of tasks or being able to check off a set of lists to be able to say, well, God owes me now, 
right? I'm now part of the kingdom of God because I've accomplished all of these things. No, Jesus says, you've been invited into the kingdom. You've been invited into my family. You've been invited to be part of me. And now that you are part of me because of what I'm doing, life is going to be different. So we, we landed last time on our need to remain in Jesus. And we went over three particular practices that we all can engage in. Thankfulness, confession, and prayer. And if you missed that last message or or maybe any of the messages recently, I encourage you, go to our website, ccpwallop.com, click on the sermon podcast link or on the YouTube link, and you can get caught up there. This week, we're going to continue talking about how Jesus is the authority and how we need to have a heart change because Jesus is now going to turn his attention to some very specific uh, examples, some things that people in the first century wrestled with that they had to deal with on a fairly regular basis. And frankly, these are things that we have to deal with as well. And, And the first one Jesus is going to address for us is anger. He's going to talk about anger and our need to live differently maybe than we have been. So here we are, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. So I encourage you, you can open your Bible or your Bible app and you can follow along or you can just listen to the words here as because I'm going to read them to you. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Jesus said this, If you, or excuse me, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother or sister has something against you leave your gift there in front of the altar go first and be reconciled to them then come and offer your gift verse 25 settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison truly i tell you you will not get out until you have paid the last penny in as i said in these verses jesus begins a list of examples that were front and center to the people of the first century. And in this current section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins each topic with something like, you have heard it said, and then he brings up the issue, but I say to you. Now, in this statement, Jesus does a few things that we need to be aware of. First, Jesus is addressing a misapplication of the Old Testament law. Remember, from, Matt, from our time together last time in this series, in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus did not come to destroy or to do away with the law. Rather, he came to bring it to its ultimate fulfillment, to its intended end. Jesus is not challenging the law itself, but its misapplication. We need to understand that. 
okay? Now, he's not calling us to live as, as law people in terms of being able to earn anything in front of God, all right? So we need to hear that too. But, but Jesus is not doing away with, with, with the law, all right? So that's the first thing. Second, Jesus is replacing the misapplication with his own official ruling. He's actually setting himself up as the lawgiver, as the authority for his followers, and we have to, again, we have to see Matthew 5, 17 through 20 as the backdrop for everything Jesus says here, where he says, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, or you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, but this, again, this isn't about mere checklists, but Jesus is saying, uh, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Now, the interesting thing is that in Jesus's day, uh, teachers would go and they would quote other teachers. They would rely on, on precedent, okay, on things that have been decided and talked about in the past, much the way that lawyers, when you go to a, a, a courtroom today, you will hear lawyers arguing case law. How have judges ruled in the past? What has been the interpretation of the law in the past? And so based on that interpretation, here is how we need to move forward. And so they argue the case that way. That was the way teachers in Jesus's day would teach. They would, they would teach on precedent, on what has come before. But Jesus, notice, he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he's setting himself up as the lawgiver, as the one who is in charge, who gets to say what is and what isn't, and the correct interpretation. That's important. A third thing we need to keep in mind is that Jesus is talking about having a particular kind of heart condition. We need to hear that over and over. He's talking about a particular kind of heart condition. If we were to go back and read, we're going to do it as a matter of fact here. We're going to read, uh, excuse me, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The, the context here is that Samuel, the prophet Samuel, is, is looking for a replacement for King Saul who has failed, who has not lived the way God wanted him to live. And so God has said, I'm, I'm setting Saul aside and, and I'm going to have a new king. And I want you to go to Jesse, and I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons. And so Samuel has all of Jesse's sons gather around him, and he says, surely this one, this strong, handsome, good-looking guy uh, is it. And here's what God says in verse 7. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You guys, God is far more interested in the condition of our hearts than he is on how we look. Let's face it, we can all fake it for a while. I know I can. I can fake love. I can fake kindness. I can, there's all Now, not for a super long period of time. Eventually, I'm going to be shown for who I am right? Eventually you're going to be shown for who you are, but we can fake our way through some of these things, at least for a time. Jesus is talking about somebody who is genuinely this way from the inside because of their relationship with God, because they are anchored in Jesus Christ, not because they are perfectly keeping a list of rules of do's and don'ts like the Pharisees and the scribes. 
So if we are going to understand and apply what Jesus says in this section in the Sermon on the Mount, we have to keep these three things in mind. If we don't, then we're simply going to be living like the scribes and Pharisees. We will not go beyond mere rule following. Because in Jesus' new normal, we are being called to maturity in him that is marked by a heart condition that is changed from the inside out. It's something completely different. It's a renovation. It's, it's like a house that is being gutted and then rebuilt from the inside out. So what kind of heart condition is Jesus talking about in these verses? Jesus is dealing with a very real issue that we, like those in the first century, face. He's dealing with anger, the heart condition of anger. Have you ever been cut off in traffic? We all get angry. We all do. To some degree or another, we may not all blow up the same way. We may not all go to rage or that kind of a thing. But I guarantee you, we all get angry. And many times, we get angry unjustly at somebody. Think about the times you've been cut off in traffic. What direction did your mind go after it happened? I know I have spent time fantasizing about going all Mad Max on people, right? Road Warrior. Words have come out of my mouth that neither honor God nor do they build anyone else up. Have you ever experienced anything like that when you've gotten angry? Now, I don't know about you, but there's, there's a part of me that actually excuses and justifies this kind of anger. Because after all, I'm just venting. Have you ever said that to yourself? If I don't let off a little bit of steam, then I'm, just, I'm going to blow up. Something bad is going to happen. And so we justify our being able to call somebody a name, even under our breath or, or behind their back. Or, or we say something rude about them or we give them a, an, a, a bad hand gesture, right? Something. I'm letting off steam. I haven't actually done anything to them. I haven't, I haven't ended their life. I haven't choked the life out of them. But Jesus says his new normal kingdom people are marked by a different heart, by doing something, by living something completely different because they are being changed from the inside out. So here's the first thing on your outline. Jesus raises the bar. He raises the bar. He doesn't lower it. He doesn't say, ah, don't worry. It's all good. I've accomplished everything. You can just go about life. No, he raises the bar. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Here's what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, Jesus is quoting the Ten Commandments here from Exodus chapter 19, or chapter 20, excuse me, and also the, the, the recap of them in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where Moses reminds the people about what God has called them to. This was a legitimate commandment, part of what God gave the people of Israel as he was setting up what life looks like, at, at, what life would look like for them as living being his people. All right, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You're going to be my representatives. You're going to demonstrate me in and to the world around you. And this is how you're going to do that. You're not going to kill each other. All right? And the judgment spoken of that Jesus talks about here is all throughout the Old Testament. It's death. It's capital punishment. 
If, if you murder somebody, all right, and murder is about, is about self-gratification. It's about getting what I want. It's about revenge. It's, it's, it's about all of these things, these things that elevate me above somebody else. The, 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 the judgment was, was clear. It was death. You forfeited your life for taking somebody else's. Jesus goes on in verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, the idea here is anger without a cause, unjust anger, when it is outside the context of love. And we're going to talk about what that means here in just a couple of minutes. Anybody who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, this was a, a, an Aramaic term that basically meant you empty-headed person, okay? Anybody who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. There was no specific provision for this in the Old Testament, okay? Jesus is reinterpreting things. He goes on, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell, the valley of Gehenna outside of Jerusalem, where the ancient kings of Ahaz and Manasseh sacrificed their their sons to the to the pagan god of Molech. All right, where bad things, unhuman, dehumanizing things happened. This is where Jesus says you're going to go. Now Jesus isn't just delineating one term in, in, in as being worse than another. He's not saying it's it's worse to call somebody a fool than it is to call somebody empty-headed, all right? He is building a case here. He's giving examples. He's talking about the way we view people and how we we interact with them. You see, in in Jesus's day, th- that Jewish culture was very high on honor and shame. All right? And to publicly shame somebody in this way, you empty-headed person or you fool was actually an attempt at, at dehumanizing them. It was it was denying them their their being made in the image of God. It was denying them their humanness. It was taking that status away from them. And these attitudes towards someone is enough for judgment, he says for being assigned to the place where less than human things happen and where divine judgment is exacted. And here's why. Here's a quote from one of the commentators I was reading on this passage, and I love this. I couldn't figure out how to put it better, so I'm just going to read it to you. When we are inappropriately angry with people, all right, inappropriate anger, when we're inappropriately angry with people, we attempt to take their identity and value as God's creature away from them. The ultimate form of which is the physical act of murder. That's the culmination of it, he says. He goes on, The righteousness expected of God's subjects is not only in avoiding murder, but in eliminating anger from our relationships. Jesus says the new normal kingdom of God people... Are, they've eliminated anger from their relationships, from viewing people as owing or uh, as owing us anything, or or us being able to lord anything over them 
and, and being able to take away their humanness and being able to dehumanize them in any way, whether that's in a just a, a flippant uh, term or it's a, a, a verbal dress down or it's the, the actual act of murder in any of those things. Jesus raises the bar. Now, we know that anger itself is not a sin. We see all throughout the Bible, God gets angry about injustice. God gets angry when, when poor people are, are, are shunted to the side and injustice is, is force-fed to them while the rich and the powerful get to maintain whatever level of security and, and power that, that, that they have enjoyed. God gets angry about that and it moves him to act on behalf of those who are being downtrodden, downtrodden, excuse me. Paul tells us in Ephesians to not let the sun go down on our anger, to not give the devil a foothold in that. All right? So anger itself isn't the sin. It's it's how we are angry. It's what our anger is a is is directed toward, and what it moves us to. That is the problem. Have you ever seen the meme floating around Facebook? I, I think the most recent one I saw was a polar bear holding a chainsaw, and, and the, the caption says, just give me the coffee and nobody gets hurt. Have you ever seen something like that? It's a funny thought. I've laughed out loud at that kind of thing. I enjoy coffee. And, and that idea is I've got to have my coffee before I can deal with any of you people, right? That is the very kind of attitude behind what Jesus is talking about in these verses, you guys. With unjust, undeserved anger, we are putting ourselves ahead of others and demeaning them as God's image bearers. Jesus says that is what lies at the heart of, of God saying, don't commit murder. Not that we barely just squeak by in, in, in not choking the life out of someone. That doesn't get us anything. That doesn't get us points with God. That doesn't get us points with other people. God tells us that we need to live a life that eliminates anger from our hearts, this unjust anger. So how do we do that? Rather than simply refraining from murdering someone, we need to celebrate them. We give them dignity the way Jesus has given us dignity. And we do this by the second thing on your outline, which is become reconcilers. We need to become reconcilers. Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 through 26. Uh, verse 23, Jesus says, therefore, if any, if you are offering your gift at the altar. Now, Jesus is talking to, to people who are in Galilee. He's actually in Galilee, which is some 80 miles away from the temple. All right, where people would travel to and offer their sacrifices that, by the way, they were required to do according to the law. He says, if any of you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. All right, so Jesus removes this from the context of somebody owes me something. He says, if you owe somebody else something, again, the bar is getting raised here. Leave your gift 
there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus says to these people in, in Galilee, he says, you, you're about to offer your gift and you realize you owe something to somebody else. Be the kind of person who has the heart, who leaves their gift there, makes the week-long travel back to Galilee to make things right with that person, then make another week-long journey back to the altar to offer the gift. Now, I think Jesus is using hyperbole here, all right? He isn't literally telling us to stop worshiping God before we make things right with people. He's talking about a certain kind of heart, and we're going to look at that here in a minute. He goes on in verse 25. He says, settle matters quickly. Another way to translate this phrase is become friends with them. Become friends with them. Settle matters quickly with your adversary, with your accuser who is taking you to court. Be friends with your enemy, he says. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary, your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer or to the guard and, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is probably not talking about, you know, the way people dealt, Jews dealt with other Jews. This was not a common practice, but with Gentiles, this is how things worked. If you owed something, you went to jail until your family was able to pay off your debt. Here, Jesus uses two parables to demonstrate the way forward. And we need to hear this, not as a list of, of check boxes, but as a kind of heart that we are invited into. A way forward, the kind of heart that fulfills the righteousness God requires. A heart that goes the extra mile to make friends with the people who are set against us. Paul puts it this way in, in Romans, as far as it, is, as it is up to you, live at peace with all men, with all people. Live at wholeness. Live, live in rightness. Now, there's, there, the reality is that just because we offer reconciliation to somebody, somebody else may not take it. That's not what Je that's another issue. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about us having the hearts that move to reconciliation first and foremost, even at a cost to us. Will we be reconcilers? Will we go the extra mile to make friends with those who are set against us? Not because not because we're checking off boxes, but because that's who we are. That's who God has, has made us to be inside. I used to think justice was primarily about punishing wrongdoing. Now, there is an element of that injustice. There is, we see that all throughout scripture. We, we, we need to grab a hold of that. But there's another part of justice that oftentimes we miss. We overlook because God shows us something else. Romans 5, 8, Paul says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were set against God, God brought justice to us through his love 
for us. Don't just eliminate, just, we, we can't even just live up to not feeling anger. Not being angry. We need to be the justice people who are offering love and friendship even to people who don't deserve it, irregardless of whether they accept it. This is the new way. This is the new normal. When we seek uh, reconciliation with those around us, we are living with the heart Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, 21 through 26, we're acting the same way that our Father acts. We are demonstrating ourselves to be God's sons and daughters. But how do we do this? You guys, I know I'm incapable of living this out on my own and left to my own devices. I won't do it. That's the truth. That's the confession. That's, that's me. That's inside me. So where do we begin Again, I, I, I do need to practice some things, not as a checklist, but as a way to cultivate this kind of heart, as, as a means to the end of becoming mature. So here we are in your notes, cultivating a heart of reconciliation. Number one, see people as God's image bearers. We need to view people as, as being made in the image of God as, and as being God's image bears. All people are made in the image of God, whether they are living for Jesus or not, whether they're doing life right or not, whether they are our friends or not, whether they agree with us or not. All right. They are made in the image of God. And because of that, there is a way that we need to treat them. So we need to view everyone, even the most hardened person as being made in the image of God. And when we see people as being made in God's image, we are more likely to put ourselves in their shoes, to see life from their perspective. As one author put it about relationships, he said, proximity breeds empathy, being able to see life from someone else's perspective. Distance breeds Suspicion. It breeds separation. The first step in being able to draw close to people is to see them as being made in the image of God. When we're able to do that, then we can enter in. We can, hey, tell me about your life. Let me hear about how things are for you. What is your experience? Where are you at? And us being able to learn from them. That's number one. Number two, confess your shortcomings and inability in being able to live this new normal. The reality is that we all fail in living and in, in having this kind of heart as a, a reconciler. But beating ourselves up about it, and then on the other extreme, just avoiding the reality of it altogether, will not produce this character trait in our lives. We must confront our inability by admitting that we fail. We go to Jesus, we go to God, and we say, help me. We humble ourselves. Uh, The author of Hebrews says we can approach the throne of grace and expect to find mercy and help in in, in our time of need. So we boldly get to do that. Confess, you guys. Here it is. We're, We're talking about this. That's number two. Number three, 
Pray. Pray for God to teach you and lead you so that you will become a reconciler rather than someone who lives angry at others or about others or because you're not getting your way or whatever else. I need to do this too. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pointing my fingers at you. I'm talking to me as well. We all need to pray for this because we need to grow and mature in this. And as we do, we are promised that Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit who is able to lead us into all truth, who is able to remind us of the things that Jesus has taught, who is able to, to, to bring about this character development in our lives as we are attaching ourselves to Christ, as we remain in him. Pray for God's grace in this area. And then number four, Thank God for his faithfulness and ability to lead you in becoming a reconciler. Receive it. That's part of what it means to be thankful, is that we're receiving this gift, this undeserved gift. I can't do this on my own. I'm, I'm exercising some muscles so that this becomes a kind of second language that I speak. Kind of like learning to play a guitar or learning to play a sport. We, we practice over and over and over, but we've got to have that teacher. We've got to have that somebody who imparts into us so that we learn how to go about moving forward. We need to thank God for that, for giving us that. You guys, Jesus doesn't expect us to have it all together and to get it all right immediately. He lived the life he lived and achieved the victory and forgiveness on the cross for us. You guys, he is for us. He is in our corner. He wants us to succeed. He's not trying to flunk us out or to weed us just out. All right. If we are committing ourselves to, to him, he wants to make us to succeed. This is not another rule for us to follow. follow. Excuse me. This is a life and a gift we're invited into. Will we live Jesus's new normal? and be a people of reconciliation? Or will we hang onto our anger? We have to answer that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have called us into your new normal. And, and Lord, it is, it is a difficult way. You're, later on in this, this very Sermon on the Mount, you're going to talk about the narrow way and, and the, the narrow gate and how few enter it. But Jesus, you don't just call us into it and tell us to figure it out. You, you walk alongside us. You lead us in this life. And so I ask, lead us. Make us a people who are reconcilers the way that you have reconciled us to you. The way that you have brought justice to us. That you have brought wholeness and rightness to us because of your love and through your love for us. Let us be that kind of people. Maybe you're listening to this right now or you're watching this online and, and, and you, you're not a Christ follower, but you want to become one. I'm going to make a, I'm going to say a prayer, make it yours. Jesus, thank you for your love. I want to be part of your family. I want to live in this love that you have, and I want to become the person that you have created me to be. Unleash your full image in me. Heal me so that I am a reconciler the way that you are a reconciler. Make me part of your family and do the work in me that only you can do. I receive it from you. 
Father, for anyone who made that prayer theirs, I ask that you would visit them right now, that you would seal this time, that you would do the work that only you can do, that you would bring them into your family, that you would solidify that in their minds and in their hearts so that nothing that the enemy says to them or says all of the yeah buts about how bad things have been or anything like that, but God, simply that your forgiveness and your grace, your mercy, your loving justice would wash over them right now and that they would experience your presence. And for all of us, God, help us not to live merely checking off rules, but into becoming your new normal kingdom people and demonstrating you through our words, our actions, and our interactions. Have mercy on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, thank you for joining us this morning. I'm, again, grateful for you. If you'd like to connect with us, click on that Connect With Us tab. If if you uh, said that prayer and accepted Christ and, and began your life as a Christ follower, go ahead and fill that out and let us know. I want to hear from you. I want to celebrate with you. I want to, I, I want, I want to cheer with you. All right, I want to hear your story. Go this week viewing people as made in God's image, confessing your inability to Jesus. He already knows it anyway. Just confess it. Ask him for the power to be able to live this out and thank him for walking alongside you in this time. You guys, thanks for being with us, and I look forward to meeting with you next week.